Hello, you're listening to Basically, and I'm Stephanie Preisner. This week, I am talking to Gavin Riley again. I've never had a response to an episode like I had to Gavin's last episode. Seems like you're all very eager to, I guess, understand politics in a way that is accessible. Let's call the last episode Politics 101. This It's not politics 102, because we're going to do that another time. This is like politics 2020. It's explaining to you what is happening at the moment, why we don't have a government yet, when we might have one. It's Friday, by the way. And what are the issues that the different parties are finding as we try to find a government. I loved chatting to Gavin for this one, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Gavin. Thank you for joining me again. Not at all, Steph. Thanks for having me. Um, A disproportionate response uh, from my followers to your episode. Um, And I'm not just saying that. You'll notice that on any of the podcasts, I haven't said that to a guest before, but people were like, can we get more information from Gavin? Because I think never before has politics been so much to the forefront. Or I think maybe also people are watching the news more now because of this coronavirus situation. Yeah, that's true. But in fairness, it's also like we're in a very delicate situation where, you know, it's it's been really weird, frankly, for four months, not having a sort of a, a destined government or not knowing exactly what way we're going to go. So we're at a very delicate point now. And also we're, we're in a very weird situation where Ireland has never before had a programme for government, but been waiting on ordinary party members to actually cast their verdict to give it a thumbs up or the thumbs down. So it like it's Why, how does a very, it usually very kind go? of usually it's just parliamentary parties so that it's only up to the TDs of each individual party to decide that they'll take the deal or not and each of the parties has sort of changed their rules over the last decade or so so that now whenever they're involved in a program for government it's not just their TDs but also their ordinary members who get a, a say in uh, whether to go in or not so we, we've never really had to wait for the verdict of Fianna Fáil members before to say are we okay with this we've never had to wait for and Fianna might Gale that be this sort delicate of thing the kind of the cross that they fall on. Yeah, well, it could be the banana skin that takes the whole thing down because particularly in, in Fianna Fáil, and maybe we'll get into this more a little later, but uh, particularly in Fianna Fáil, there is a real sense of divergence between uh, those who are inside Leinster House and who sort of recognise that the numbers are very difficult and that the only way you can get a dull majority is to try and come together with the arrangement that they have versus those who are maybe outside of the Leinster House bubble who are maybe more... Fianna Fáil purists and who are maybe more like the attitude that your granddad would have described in the last episode where, you know, they're the party of Michael Collins, they gave away the six counties, you know, could be damned if I'm going into bed with them. So there's uh, there's a real kind of a the pragmatists who are like, yeah, let's make compromises and let's go into government and, and let's do things versus the idealists who are just like absolutely committed never to crossing this bridge. And there are some of those in every party as well. And the Green Party too also has to consult its own members. Now, the only reason I left them out up till now is because they have always consulted their members before, but they have a real bridge to cross because they don't only just need a majority of their members, they need two thirds of their members to endorse the programme for government or else they can't go in. And that, that right now at the time that we're recording seems like the biggest potential hurdle or banana skin for this programme for government. And is it because the Green Party... So I guess I'm not sure what way to proceed best, but okay, let's go back to Fianna Fáil and like what you were saying there. Following on from the last episode, is there a sense that some people in Fianna Fáil would rather go into coalition with Sinn Féin because they believe in a kind of a united Ireland 
in a in a similar vein than than going to Fine Gael who have for the lifetime of the parties been sort of their nemesis. Yeah, there's a touch of that. I, I don't know how much of the approach towards uh, embracing Sinn Féin is because of their United Ireland Republicanism. Uh, I think maybe if you call them Republican parties with a, a small R so that it's not just about getting rid of the Brits and having a 32-county, four-greenfields nation once again, Ireland, but rather um, that they both kind of like to have this approach or this attention towards the vulnerable that, you know, particularly in the last uh, five or ten years, you've seen Sinn Féin talk an awful lot about the the needs of the vulnerable, making sure that everyone is, is included in society, civil rights for minority groups for the disabled for for women in terms of the 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 right to choose whether to give birth or not um for same sex civil liberties for all, all these sorts of things that that's it's a kind of a very republican approach in the non you know Brits out kind of a context yes. and there's many in, in Fianna Fáil who would see themselves as sharing that sort of view and they think that they make for much more natural bedfellows than going in with Fine Gael um, now it has to be said that within the parliamentary party and by that I mean Fianna Fáil's TDs senators MEPs only one TD Eamon O'Keeve actually voted against the programme for government when they met to consider it the other night and he voted against it precisely because I think he would much rather embrace Sinn Féin for, for their republicanism in both the general citizens sense and also in the you know United Ireland sense um, and is that there's kind one of other... because for those listening who don't know Eamon O'Keeve is Eamon de Valera's grandson, grandson. like mm. actually his grandson hung out with yeah, his grandfather like so I mean literally it's a... the flesh and blood of Eamon de Valera so yeah uh, so it's ma- ma- maybe that's a certain amount ask... of it there's a yeah. lot of kind of magnanimity being asked of him there to swallow that pill, I guess. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, and I suppose like it's it's not, you know, personal to him. And I'm sure like he would say that he's his own man and he's not just, you know, doing whatever he thought his grandfather would, would think is best. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, of family history and baggage there that will come along with the idea of Fianna Fáil going into power with Fine Gael, particularly because of everything that his own family has been through. Um, but it has to be said that he's, he's in the minority within the parliamentary party, but there's a lot more within the grassroots members. And don't forget, it's one member, one vote. So a TD's vote isn't worth more than anyone else's. There's a lot within the so grassroots. So talk to me about what a grassroots member is. So what I mean by grassroots member is basically just an ordinary member, just uh, any punter on the street who decides, oh, I like the cut of their jib and I join the party and I pay my membership fee and I am an ordinary member. The, so the it's way kind of the difference fall... between like if you're a Liverpool supporter or if you're like a Liverpool club member who pays the Liverpool Football Club to go to matches and buy season tickets. It's like the difference between just voting Fianna Fáil and actually paying up to be part of the party yes yeah precisely yeah. so there are those who, who might uh, you know like show up in a pub on a Saturday or Sunday and and cheer on Man United or then there's suckers like me who pay the annual membership fee for the right then to go and buy tickets afterwards and I'm a, a member of the club and but in, in terms of this and in approving the, the programme for government my vote as an ordinary member is not worth any more or any less than the votes of people who are literally shareholders or who own like who physically own the actual club or those who play for the club when it comes to Fianna Fáil again they're they're Republican with a small or in that literally everyone has exactly the same say so although most of the TDs and senators and MEPs are in favour of this compromise and of going into government you know albeit holding their noses with Fine Gael it, it, the fact that the parliamentary party is overwhelmingly in favour of it doesn't really matter because they only have one vote each and there Sounds are I think everyone. eight 
and I think there are 18,000 members of Fianna Fáil who might have a vote in this so it, it really remains to be seen there's always a chance that the ordinary members could just decide this is a bridge too far I suspect that many of them will decide to look at this as an opportunity to go back into government and sort of you know get the party back doing what we all wanted to do um, but there will be a very very large chunk who will think that the identity of their partners is good reason not to go in and it'll be very interesting if the ordinary members are much more opposed to it than the actual TDs are because it will speak to a real disconnect between what the TDs want and what their members want. And has there already been an indication that there's a kind of a splinter group like there's Fianna Fáil and now this new splinter group yeah, that Eamon O'Keefe the, is heading the, up? Yeah, well, he in fairness, he says he's not uh, actually involved in it, and although they are presenting him as you know a sympathizer, he's not actually involved in this group. But it's a group that people might have heard of, or or seen on the news called Fairer Future, and it's basically just a like a subgroup within Fianna Fáil. It's just like a collective of members who believe that partnership with Fine Gael is not the right route to go down, and they're concerned that if two parties who many people see very similar, like Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, if they go into government together, then people will struggle to tell the difference between them and that Fianna Fáil's own you know, identity will, will be diluted. Now, it actually strikes me as being a curious um, concession to make because they're sort of admitting it by, by putting forward that argument that actually they're quite like Fine Gael and that maybe there isn't a huge amount between them or that differs them in the first place. But look at that. That's where they stand anyway. They say that they've got around 50 councillors, which is about a fifth of Fianna Fáil's total population of, of county or city councillors. They say they've got all of them on board. I mean, in some counties, literally every single Fianna Fáil councillor is on board with this movement and are opposing a, a deal with Fine Gael. So irrespective of what happens, there's going to be a, a bit of a, a fracture in the party between those who think that, you know, let's make the compromise and go into government and let's, you know, implement our vision for Ireland versus those who think that no price is worth paying for doing a deal with who they see as the devil. And is it that they would just be different on that issue in the same way that, and I might be wrong, but didn't a group splinter away from Sinn Féin on the abortion issue and become aid to? Yeah, basically. And is it, uh, I, it I mean, a... I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there were the, the split, if this faction within Fianna Fáil would ever actually break away. And I mean, and okay. for what it's worth, uh, Eamon O'Keeve told me on, on microphone uh, yesterday or like earlier this week that even if this deal is ratified, OK, it might not, be what, might not be what he wants. But that when push comes to shove, when it goes then to going into the doll and electing this government, that he will do it. So he, he okay. will be like he, he will reflect whatever is done. Fianna Fáil, uh, to its credit, and this is part of the reason why it has been such a powerful force in Irish politics for the last 90 years. It has always done very well not to fracture away whenever there's been really big divides in the party. And there's been quite a few of them in the past. There's different divides between those who wanted to take a more hands-on approach to Northern Ireland when the troubles broke out versus those who wanted to retreat behind the border and try and pursue only the diplomatic means. Then there was big rows between uh, Charlie Hawhey and George Colley about who should be in charge of the party and what direction it should take. And, and they've always managed to stay inside the same tents. And it's one of the reasons why they've been so powerful when so many other different parties have, have splintered away whenever they've had big rows. So if history is a form guide, Fianna Fáil will get over itself and that there still will be you know, there may be people who are unhappy with the direction, but they will stay within the party. But we're also, not sure that's about not that to say for the that, Greens. Yeah, we, we don't know. And so that's Fianna Fáil and how they might approach it. Are Fianna Gael just kind of waiting to see how the others react, but they're pretty solid because they want to stay in power? 
they're pretty solid. Uh, firstly, you have to recognise that Fine Gael's uh, vote on going into the programme for government isn't the same as Fianna Fáil's. It's not every single member gets a vote and they all count equally. Uh, they do have a sort of a member's vote, but it's a very kind of a split. It's like the American um, Electoral College model where everyone sort of has a say, but they're not all worth the same. So okay. the way that the way that the Fine Gael count is, is broken down, the votes of the parliamentary party, in other words, their TDs, senators and MEPs, are worth 50% of the overall total. Then the votes of their um, national executive are worth a certain percentage. The votes of their councillors are worth a certain percentage. And then every constituency organisation gets 10 votes to cast however they want as well. So they all get put into this kind of giant calculator spreadsheet. But But the important thing is that the votes of the parliamentary party are worth more. And there again is only one member of their parliamentary party who is officially on the record as opposing this. And that's uh, the TD for Mayo, Michael Ring. He's the Minister for Rural Affairs. And he just thinks that Fianna Fáil bankrupt of the country and we should have nothing to do with them. Right. Okay. But, well, that's a whole different situation, isn't it? I mean, is there is there something to be said for... So Sinn Féin are in opposition. Like, if this goes ahead, right, Sinn Féin are going to be in opposition, which mm-hmm. is actually quite a... Sp- strategic place to be for the next few years when it's going to be pretty turbulent in government difficult decisions are going to be made and then Sinn Féin can just complain and oppose everything and not have to take the brunt of any of the hard decisions that have to be made so they're kind of happy with the way things are or are they saying no this I've heard some of their TDs saying this is not the change that people voted for which I disagree with because this is technically what people voted for based on how many TDs got elected. Is that well, the yeah, case? yeah, and and, and I, I would agree with that, that stri- strictly speaking, what people voted for is the doll that's there. And look, at they, they, they didn't give any explicit instruction as to which government they wanted because yes, F- uh, Sinn Féin won more seats than ever before. Uh, yes, Fine Gael had fewer votes than ever before. Yes, Fianna Fáil lost seats. But there is no obvious path for anyone to get to the doll majority. And maybe we'll come back to that in a little while about how you know Sinn Féin haven't been able to find some collection of partners that will be able to command a block of 80 seats in the doll and 80 is what you need because 80 is a majority there's 160 TDs but the chairman never votes you have 159 and that means that if you have 80 TDs in favour of anything that's a majority so all Sinn Féin would have to do or all anyone has to do is to get 80 TDs in favour of the same idea of the same appointee and that's where it's done and Sinn Féin haven't been able to do that now Sinn Féin of course will say publicly that you know they they don't think this is finished and that there is still the prospect of this program for government being rejected by someone and that therefore you may have to go back to the drawing board and maybe it's possible for Sinn Féin then to pull together the numbers and to enter government to find some collection of partners who are willing to to push them over the line uh, very unlikely as it is um to go back to your original question opposition has always been the easier place to be because all you you never have to make the tough decisions you were never involved in spending taxpayers money you never have to decide you know, which deserves more resources than anything else. So it is always an easier place to be and you can stand up and leaders' questions live on telly a couple of times a week and you can crib and moan and complain about what's going on. Um, It has always been the easier thing to be and it's always a slightly safer place to be. But if you are a real politician and you want to get in to make changes, opposition is not a place where you can do very much because you don't control really anything. So, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at it. Yes, Sinn Féin would quite like strategically maybe to be in opposition, to be the dominant voice in opposition for, 
three or four or five years and then, you know, get a really good run at the next general election and then maybe be in power. But also, you know, it's five years is a long time to wait for your opportunity. And if the, if there's a chance of putting together some means of counting towards 80 seats, then maybe it's still an opportunity to do that. But Sinn Féin's big grievance, of course, is that neither Fianna Fáil nor Fine Gael will, will work with them or even consider sitting down with them. So when you have 72 TDs who are already off the market, uh, out of a chamber of 159, it's very difficult to find any other way to count up to 80. Sinn Féin would need to get, you know, virtually every independent TD on side. They would need to convince the Labour Party, which says it's it's kind of still gone away to lick its wounds and it doesn't believe that it has a mandate to go into government at all. You'd have to get them to agree. You'd have to get the Green Party to go in. And Sinn Féin and the Green Party have very different ideas about carbon taxes and exactly how you should punish people for using fossil fuels so there's there'd be a lot of bridges to cross and you know while a government hasn't been formed there is always the opportunity in theory for Sinn Féin to go about trying to get it in but the theory and the practice are two very different things as far as that goes. And if either the Green Party or Fianna Fáil because that's the most those are the two most likely those Mm -hmm. members don't pass this program for government is it possible that, like, what would happen if they if they can't get this passed? Well, the that that's that's a big open question because we've never been in circumstances like this before because we've never had a program for government which has been voted down, but also we've never had a doll which is as fragmented as the one we have right now and where it would take so much thought or you know so much hard work to try and pull together any majority at all. Um, in theory. Uh, they could go back to the drawing board and Sinn Féin could say, right, well, you guys can't get your government together, so we will talk to the Greens and Solidarity People Before Profit and Labour and the Social Democrats and we'll see what sort of government we can put together. But even if you add Sinn Féin and the Greens and Labour and the Social Democrats and Solidarity People Before Profit and you add them all together, by my maths, I think you still only have 64 seats and you would need to put together, you need to find 16 more votes, which would mean bringing either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael into the tent and I think they've made it pretty clear that they have no interest in working or collaborating with Sinn Féin uh, or then you have to go to the 21 independent TDs and get 16 of them on board and that's look, maybe that's turbulent. possible it's very turbulent because if you only had 16 of them on board and you, you managed to really jigsaw your way like a Jenga tower up to 80 seats all you would need is one independent TD to decide that they don't like what you're doing in the budget or if you are Let's say you're like you're, you're like me. I'm Gavin Riley, and I'm an independent TD for Meath West, and I want an international airport for Navin. And then, in, when we go around to negotiating the budget, and there is no money in it to build an airport in Navin, and then I throw my toys out of the pram and I decide to quit the government, then you the no longer have collapses. your majority, and the whole thing collapses. So, really, although people talk about eighty being the magic number, really for security's sake, you'd want to be a few over that, which is why maybe Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens is the only option because that gets you to 84 and it could tolerate the idea of maybe a couple of people having an issue. Yeah, having an issue and leaving and over the course of the term. Is is there absolutely no way that say, so say this postal ballot happens. So what happens now is Fianna Fáil post out this thing to all their members and everyone posts back their answer, yes or no, I agree with this. If mm-hmm. they get a majority of people saying no, absolutely over my dead body are we going in with Fine Gael is it possible that Micheál Martin has to go well look the grassroots members want me to sit down with Sinn Féin even though I said I wouldn't this is what the party wants so Mary Lou do you want to have a coffee? There's two ways of looking at it Uh, firstly it's 
whether it would actually sort of be fatal to Micheál Martin's leadership at all because it's look it's very difficult Micheál Martin has been very much like he's already out on the sales pitch uh, the Dáil is actually taking a day off this week so that the, the party leaders can go off and talk to their members and try to sell this deal and Micheál Martin is really vocally in favour of this deal that they've done uh, with Fine Gael and the Greens and he wants this one over the line so you could argue that if the ordinary members of the party said no we don't like this deal then maybe his position as leader is no longer tenable because he would clearly be so out of touch or at such a disconnect with what the members think but like I said maybe he's kind of insulated from that because pretty much every other member of the parliamentary party except for Eamon O'Keeve actually voted in favour of it when push came to shove in the convention centre in Dublin where they had their meeting the other night. So that that's kind of one aspect. So like whether it's actually tenable for Micheál Martin to even stay in charge, who knows. Um, whether he could then decide, well, this is the only other way to govern and go to Sinn Féin, look, at who knows? Stranger things have happened. Uh, Micheál Martin is on record as saying that he wouldn't uh, talk to Sinn Féin, but he's also on record as saying that he wouldn't talk to Fine Gael. In fact, Fianna Fáil, if you go back far enough, are on the record as saying that they would never enter into any coalition with anyone ever. And if you go further back, Fianna Fáil are on record as saying they would never enter the Dáil ever. So, you know, there, there's always room to <laughs> to change your red lines whenever circumstances require. And, and, you know, when the facts change, people change their minds. But it's um, it would strike me that given given how public he has been and the sort of the venom that there's been in his voice and in his words for so long about Sinn Féin and some of their sympathies for what went on in Northern Ireland, that I, I think Micheál Martin would rather fall on the sword and just walk away from the party than, than lead them into a coalition with Sinn Féin. But stranger things have happened. I don't know. I Because there is this talk of another election, which is whispers, you know, oh, well, we might have to have another election, which considering which, the fact which, that which, people by the way, tr- is the is the only solution if uh, this doll can't pull something together that, you know, Leo Varadkar as the outgoing Taoiseach would basically, if he thinks that the, literally there is no other way of this doll producing the numbers that work, then he'll go back to Michael D and say, this doll don't work. Uh, let's let's call an election. Michael but there's D also the had- possibility that Mike, Michael D might be like, absolutely no way. There is a pandemic. You have your votes. Make it work. That's your job. Yeah. And, and he can do that, and, it, and it's it's one of the few powers that the president does have, but that it is strictly written into the constitution. Most of what the president does, he has to do acting on the advice of, or the permission, or the consent, or the authority of the government. But there's there's very few areas in which he has the sole discretion to do something off his own bat. But re- refusing an election is something he can do if the Taoiseach that's coming to him doesn't have the authority or doesn't have the confidence of the doll, which Leo Varadkar clearly doesn't because the doll won't elect him as Taoiseach, um, then Michael D has the authority to say, no, this is not the time for an election. Go ahead and, you know, butt heads together and see what you can come up with. In fact, you, you could have a role, and this is totally without precedent because it's we've never had the, the need for it before, but you could have a situation where Michael D actually gets actively involved, where he rolls his sleeves up and sits a socially distant two metres apart from Mary Lou and Leo and Michal and says... Listen, what's it going to take for you guys to just, you know, park your historical stuff and just get this together? You know, we're in the midst of a massive economic and health crisis and the country needs a government. So can you guys just not bury your concerns and and pull it together for a little while? And it's it's very possible that Michael D could do that. That would kind of save Micheál Martin in the sense that from his grassroots members might be like, look, I have no choice now to go back on my word and talk to Mary Lou because the president says I have to. Uh, and of course, the other prospect is that if the president doesn't say that he has to, and if the president says, yeah, go on, let's have another election. If you look at the opinion polls for the last couple of days, Fine Gael have had a real resurgence because most people think the government has handled the pandemic quite well. Obviously, there are plenty of reasons to argue that the government hasn't, but the opinion polls clearly think that the government has done a 
a broadly a good job. Why do you think they so, haven't? Well, you know, how many people died in nursing homes? And was it possible to avoid that and to, to save the lives of the, the 900 odd people who were residents of nursing homes and who have died as a result of COVID-19? Could more have been done to safeguard them from having the virus come into their places? Could the government have taken a more delicate approach to removing people from hospitals and potentially then bringing patients who were unknowingly carrying COVID into nursing homes where they then came into contact with loads of other frail elderly people who passed away as a result. Like there's there's plenty of good reasons. There's the, the shambles over PPE. There's the fact that uh, we, you know, Simon Harris's boo-boo about saying that there were 18 previous COVIDs. Uh, you know, there, there's, and, and the, the failure to deliver any other health services, the idea that they paid so much for private hospitals and then didn't use very much of the facilities, the idea that they rented out almost all of City West and it's virtually empty. Like there's, there's quite a few reasons why you could say the government hasn't done a good job, but also... There are probably quite a few reasons and the fact that, you know, the testing regime was slow to get going, but is among the most resilient in the world. Like there's a lot of other reasons to say that it's done well. But anyway, but that's maybe that's a separate podcast for another time. It, I think it is polls, actually because I have yeah. some, I have, I, I'd love to get you on with um, maybe with Luke. We can all battle it out. But anyway, yes, the opinion yeah, polls so. say that Sorry, Fine Gael so the opinion polls say really that well. Gael have done, have done a quite good job of, of putting all this together. But also... Um, there's a, quite a lot of the public who think that the arrangement that's about to come now is a total betrayal or that it doesn't feel like the true outcome of the election and would now vote in greater numbers for Sinn Féin. And Fianna Fáil is really on the slide. Fianna Fáil got like 22% or so in the general election. If if there was to be another one held, according to the opinion polls, they'd only get 14%. And that's, you know, that's the real bad old days. They've never, ever, ever been that low before for a general election results. And like they'd be wiped out. They'd be back to like only having a dozen seats or so. Uh, in the doll if that's what they came back with so but is it kind of the case that careful. they're getting like a, they're not really getting any credit for anything that's happened in the last three months even though they have also been there helping Fine Gael to deal with the situation yeah, in a funny way, it's kind of useful that Fine Gael have still been like technically in power and that they've held all the all the offices and all the jobs because actually at the start of the pandemic, a lot of stuff was done by consensus. You know, the, the government wouldn't do anything without the blessing of the opposition parties because it, it recognised that we were in a really strange time where this massive crisis was coming, but we were in, in the care of a caretaker government. So they wouldn't do anything without the blessing of opposition parties and Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin and others would be able to claim their credit for you know, backing the measures that needed to be taken, backing you know, the, the closing of... Uh, of the schools or whatever else, you know, agreeing to restrict uh, freedom of travel and all the other big things that we've all sacrificed for the last couple of months. It's all been done with the opposition on board, but because Fianna Fáil aren't really the ones in power, they're not getting as much of the credit for doing it anymore. So if, if there That's were to be really another unfair. general tomorrow, it seems that Sinn Féin would do really well, uh, that Fine Gael would do really well, and that Fianna Fáil would be on the slide. So the big, like part of the big existential question for Fianna Fáil in potentially rejecting this deal is well if we reject this deal and there's no other option and we have to go for another election do we risk coming back with only like half or a third of the seats that we currently do and is that a price worth paying yeah and when would the other like obviously you say like if there was an election tomorrow it wouldn't be tomorrow but when would we be having an election if this didn't pass in 10 days time uh, if it didn't pass in 10 days time that would be Friday the 26th so let's say that the doll then meets on Monday the 29th or Tuesday the 30th of June Leo stands up and says there's no other way that all this can work I'm off to the Oris and if Michael D were to grant an election then you'd be having one 
sometime around the last week of July or maybe into very early August. But that's that's the time that we'd be looking at. But like and of considering... course, a ping a post, by the way, you do always have to take with a pinch of salt because they're they're asking you about your opinion for, for a general election which isn't happening and for which nobody is campaigning. And obviously Fianna Fáil would say that, well, if there was a general election, we would campaign and we would make our case to the people and we'd obviously get more than 14%. And they probably would, but, you know, and a, a how... ping polls are still a kind of a useful guide that way. I just don't think, given the fact that we're still negotiating how pubs are going to manage and how whether schools can open, that we could open schools and community centres to let people vote in a yeah, pandemic. Yeah, it'd be a serious mess. And it's also set in law that even if you wanted to get around that by having loads more people with postal votes, and, and that could be a really you know, a nice, useful workaround, um, you would have to change the law to allow for postal votes, but you can't really change the law at the moment Without because changing the law requires a Shannon and there's no Shannon without the Taoiseach nominees, but there's no Taoiseach nominees without a Taoiseach and there's no Taoiseach without a government. So lads, yeah, like... Yeah. So it's it's a mess. Now, there is, there, there is one... There's a clause in electoral law which almost foresees uh, circumstances like this and would allow Owen Murphy to basically say... Right, like it's totally not workable. We can't have three million people all lining up to go into the same primary schools or community centres on a given day. We're just going to have to make some sort of alternative arrangements. And he Why could maybe do that uh, because he is the minister in charge of uh, housing, planning and local government. And it is that department which is actually responsible for running elections. So he is the oh. one who would actually have to make the call on that. Uh, it, it's always been a weird a curiosity because it means that if the Minister for the Environment or Housing or whatever the job is called these days is running for election, that they kind of get to choose who oversees their own election, which is always kind of a bit strange. But look, everyone has always acted in good faith and assumed that the civil servant who runs the elections is, is always going to deal things in a, a fair and impartial and proper way. manner. And, and they always do, in fairness. But it would be up to Owen Murphy to decide whatever short-term changes might need to be just issued by decree to uh, electoral law people might remember actually that in the week before the general election the candidate in Tipperary uh, passed away yeah yeah. The, uh, a lady called Marie Skeehan who was running uh, in the general election there and strictly speaking under electoral law like the, the law of the land as it stands as it pertains to elections that would have required Tipperary to not vote on the same day as everyone else and to only like basically to go back to scratch and to reopen the ballot and to start all over again uh, and Owen Murphy had to say well okay, that's all well and good, but we also have to, like we have a constitutional duty to make sure that everyone pretty much votes on the same day uh, all over the country. And we wouldn't be doing that if Tipperary had to go back to the to, to square one and start all over again. So he issued this kind of legal order, which basically said, yeah, notwithstanding what the law says, Tipperary goes ahead and votes this week. And you could have something similar to that where he could say, notwithstanding what the law says, everyone has two weeks to register for a postal vote if they want it and we'll figure out some way to make it work. And he always has the power to do that. But any time that he uses that power then is another opportunity for someone else to go to court and question whether it's a fair or proportionate or legal uh, use of that power. So it's it's probably a, a route that they wouldn't want to go down, which is another reason maybe why Fine Gael might like to say, well, just approve this programme for government and we don't have to deal with another election because we're safe for five years. Do you mean Fianna Fáil? No, well, Fine Gael too, because they would be the ones who'd have to who'd be responsible for, uh, oh, yeah. you know, for Owen Murphy. They'd be the ones who'd, who'd be responsible for making that decision. They wouldn't want to have... So like, do you think it, that Fine Gael actually do want to go into government? Because some people I see on the internet are saying that Fine Gael are hoping that the Green Party members vote down the deal so that they don't have to do this. Uh, 
they might but also don't forget that if the Green Party votes down the deal and we end up having another general election then you could have Fine Gael coming back with 36 or 37% of the vote they'd be coming very close to having 80 seats almost all by themselves and they would probably end up finding themselves in government whether they liked it or not anyway uh, there, there is though definitely a, a large proportion within Fine Gael who say that this is the, the election that we had in February is the second time in a row in which Fine Gael has lost seats has lost votes and we can't keep losing seats and votes and still finding our way into power because it's just it's it's not right. And eventually they'll sort of they'll enter into this kind of terminal decline where they're they're actually a bit petrified that if they go if they go into government this time and there's another general election in three or four or five years, that uh, it will happen again that they'll lose more seats and more votes and they'll just kind of go into this sort of permanent little shrivel where it'll be like a like a leaf kind of you know crumpling up Last on a tree stings of a dying wasp yeah that that kind of a thing yeah so that they there's there's some of them who say listen ev- everyone always wants to be in government but just look at the election results we've lost seats we've lost votes we don't really have any moral authority to to try and cling on to power anymore let's just let someone else try and that's what Leo Varadkar said at the start you know we've lost seats we've lost power uh, Sinn Féin inverted commas won this election so let them at it. Let them see if they can find some way to get to 80 seats. And it was only because they couldn't that Fine Gael was then convinced, well, maybe we should do a deal with the devil and embrace Fianna Fáil because it's the only way that someone can govern. And ultimately, irrespective of whether it should be us or not, Ireland needs a government. Can we talk about the Green Party for a second? Because I'm confused and I have this image of them as just being like, you know, cyclists and being <laughs> ideological on one very important but just one singular topic and not really like I don't believe that I I don't yeah I guess I just see them in terms of the environment and I don't know that they have housing policies or childcare policies or you know so mm. what well they they is do like they, they would they would say that they do I mean I, I get yeah a lot of people sort of think that they're basically just eco warriors it's like it's Greenpeace but in suits um but though they would argue that all the other things that you mentioned there like uh housing policy or childcare or whatever, that they're all sort of linked to the environmental question because if you have like a good housing policy, you might make sure that houses are designed to a certain environmental standard and that they might be built only in areas that have really good public transport links so that nobody has to use a car in order to get to where they work or something, for example. Um, childcare policy is really good because if it's possible to have childcare in your vicinity, um, or you know, a good childcare option that allows you to maybe work from home or to work limited hours or to work flexibly like a lot of people have been doing for the last three or four months, then that also helps towards reducing carbon emissions. And and they sort of see, you know, the, the economic thing and just quality of life as going hand in hand. Um, but and based on how like, our economy is kind of like, we're farmers, we're like back in the day, we're, you know, the Irish potato, like we're farmers and we have beef and we have cows and it's, 50 40 shades of green or whatever like mm. what i understand that there's real uncertainty from rural ireland about what it will mean for them if the greens are in power and yeah and and, and that that's that, that's of course like it, it's it's totally legitimate because a lot of people think that you know, what i just described there about housing policy and public transport that a lot of people um particularly in rural ireland think that it's almost like it's the greens ambition that everyone in Ireland should live in an urban apartment and that nobody should live in one-off rural housing or have a big yeah. back garden. And is that true? That, I mean, look, at no, it's it's not true, but it's the Greens would certainly think that that is a slightly less efficient way of sorting things out. And the more inefficient life is, then the more greenhouse gases you 
to create by trying to make it all work. But that said, the Greens also do recognise that, by the way, you know, humans need food to live and food requires agriculture to create it. And if you are a meat eater, that means that, you know, you have to have a, a beef production you know, system that creates the beef that we all eat. And by the way, beef is also a massive employer in this country. So if you simply get rid of that thing, you've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people suddenly out of work and that has its own economic consequences too. But yeah, how do you square them all is is the real existential issue. And that that's part of the reason why it took so long for uh, the Greens to do this deal uh, with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And even still, there are a lot of people within the Greens who don't think the deal goes far enough because, for example, um, the Greens had as one of their complete non-negotiables for entering into government the idea that we would cut greenhouse gases by 7% every year for the next decade so that by 2030, there would only be half as much gas produced uh, as there is now. But a big contributor to... Um, carbon emissions in Ireland is the agriculture sector. It commits to about, about a fifth of all greenhouse gases come from agriculture. And a big contributor in agriculture is just the existence of cows. Cows fart, yeah. cows belch, cows produce an awful lot of methane. That's greenhouse gases. And therefore, it would go hand in hand that if agriculture is to do its share of the heavy lifting to make sure that we cut our greenhouse gases by the, the necessary amount, that would mean having to cut back on the number of cows that they are. We call it reducing the national herd. But obviously that's massively contentious for people who's you know who are beef farmers and that's their livelihood. And and it's already a tricky livelihood because anyone who's been watching the news for the last six or twelve months will know that beef farmers had a really tricky time as a result of Brexit and that the the product doesn't pay nearly as much as it probably ought to to try and, you know, allow them to make ends meet. So how do the you Green make Party all that work? have a kind of a robust plan of how they would is it just like cull the herd or is it like retrain farmers, give them new jobs, give them money to not farm or is it? It's not give them money to not farm, but it's farm in different ways. It's like pay them to leave a certain amount of their land idle so that it could uh, like be rewilded. Basically, if you don't tend to it at all and just allow it to grow into like a, an untended meadow, that it's good for biodiversity and that it's then good for the climate as a whole. So that farmers should be paid to do that instead of using the land for beef farming so that you could maybe whittle down the amount of cattle that you have but not be any more out of pocket. They also have this idea about uh, re-wetting bogs because bogs are actually quite a good, what they call carbon sink, where it's it's like trees. They just, they suck in the carbon soak dioxide and it yeah. just, and it just, it gets just soaked up. And bogs are really good at that. But obviously we've spent most of the last couple of hundred years digging up our bogs and burning them in our fires. So there isn't as many, uh, many of them still left. So a green thing is to spend a lot of money re-wetting bogs and they would act as a carbon sink and far, farmers could be incentivized to do that if they've got any bog land on their own territory. So th- there's a few different ways that they could do it, but it is difficult to get around the whole idea of the, the fact that it does mean having fewer cattle and potentially having fewer farmers. Uh, one thing Green that was Party... negotiated into the program for government, and th- this is quite important, the, uh, the, the annual goal of 7%, basically the compromise that they reached is that 7% has to be reached every year and that's what everyone has committed to but like the naturally occurring biological methane that comes out of cattle apparently doesn't count and a lot of greens would say well hang on how can you say it doesn't count like it's methane like it doesn't matter whether it comes out of a cow or whether it comes out of a car exhaust it's a gas which is contributing towards the overheating of our world and we can't tolerate it but you know maybe it's the concession that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil needed to make sure that Rural Ireland doesn't completely shut up shop and to make sure that beef farmers who are already having a tough enough time as it is 
are at least able to try and continue an operation and to make ends meet and to produce the beef that we all eat. And do the Green Party, like, is there, so there's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin as the largest parties. Do, do the Green Party kind of not understand that they're going to have to make their programme for government or their mandate palatable to one of these larger parties in order to do anything except be in opposition. Like in order to get into power, they, they're they going to have to negotiate those things because the larger parties who have the most sway are just going to be like, no, we're, we're not, we can't do that. Yeah, this is the really big problem that the Greens have because there are there are two different approaches within the party. There is that, that approach that you just outlined, this idea of, yeah, we, like we need to campaign, but we also need to compromise because we would much rather make compromises and get into power and do what we can rather than, you know, stay on the sidelines and do nothing at all. That's one view, and that's the view of the likes of Eamon Ryan. Then there's the view of others within the party that say, well, actually, no, we can't really compromise because unless we get everything that we want, and I, I, this will sound dramatic and I don't mean it to be, but this is this is genuinely what a lot of Green Party people think. They would say, literally, the future of the planet is at stake and we need to do all of this stuff or else the Earth ends into this death cycle where we find ourselves overheating the planet too much uh, the weather goes absolutely schizophrenic and we all have like mass floods and mass drought and eventually we all die. And that's like that's the science upon which the Green Party is basing. So there's there is there are these two different wings. I mean, a lot of people from the outside, people in the environmental lobby who aren't involved in the Green Party have looked at the programme for government and said, well, yeah, if you deliver all of this stuff, this is by far the most radical pro-environmental you know government plan we will have ever had. And they think that it really, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, just take it. But there are others in the Greens who say, well, we didn't get everything we want. And we genuinely do believe that unless we get everything we want, there won't be an Ireland or a world to live in in 50 years time. And that's the position they take. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like this program will have 7% minus the methane from cows or without them, none. We'll just have 100%. You know, like there's... Mm. I think they need to un- Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it wouldn't be, I mean, it's not the existing government's, uh, you know, proposal or policy to have 0% reductions and just to keep emitting methane until we all die anyway. They, they, do, they do want some cuts, but basically the Greens think that the, they're not sufficient. the cuts are either not ambitious enough, they're, they're not sufficient, or that there are other ways to do it that you can still guarantee a certain quality of life. Uh, and But just by the way, to go back to your previous question, the Greens do also believe that it's possible to reform farming in other ways, that if you, like, have fewer animals uh, per farm that then you can maybe raise them to a higher quality and that maybe you can get a higher price for them and that there's maybe ways that you can incentivize farmers to do that. So like they do kind of have a view on how farming and agriculture could be run. And indeed, one of their senators, uh, Pippa Hackett, is herself actually like a farmer. She's based in Offaly and she is a farmer. Um, so she does seem to think that there are ways that you can do it. But obviously, it's a, it's a hard sell and it's uh, it would mean a lot of um, concessions and a lot of compromises and the difficult decisions for rural farmers to make that clearly Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael don't believe are, are worth asking them for. The Green Party have been in power with Fianna Fáil before, yeah? Yes, back in 2007 until the very start and of didn't 2011. didn't go great for them. No, it didn't go great for them. In, in fairness, though, not because of any pushback on environmental stuff, although there was a bit of pushback on their environmental stuff. Um, the reason why it didn't go great for them is because their time in government coincided with the construction collapse, the recession, eventually the arrival of the Troika and Ireland's loss of independence to make its own decisions for itself when it came to the country's finances. You don't finances. think that they will be and thrown then under they lost, the bus? they lost all of their seats as a result. You, do you think that they'll be thrown under the bus um, again? Or is that a fear? Uh, I... 
it's it's always a concern. It's a concern that a lot of greens have. They kind of have this once bitten, twice shy, and that particularly because it's Fianna Fáil again, they would quite like maybe not to go back to that that old ground. But it's actually it's not as prevalent a concern within the greens as you'd think, largely because since 2011, you know the the attitudes towards climate and what needs to be done to stop the world from going into this kind of permanent overheating. Um, have become so much more profound that the Greens are prepared to kind of bury that baggage. And I think, to be fair, a lot of them don't have like huge personality issues with Fianna Fáil or with their own history with Fianna Fáil. They just want to do a deal with whoever will do what it's necessary to save the climate. And as it happens, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil were the ones who were willing to do the deal this time. So there, there are many within the party who just think, yeah, look, let's take the opportunity, let's implement 60 or 70 or 80% of our policies or whatever we can and let's at least try because the alternative is leaving it up to someone else and clearly if the Greens thought that someone else was capable of dealing with the environment better than them then they wouldn't be in business at all. Um, Okay, so as coalitions go or as government formation goes is this a really controversial tricolour of of government? (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's 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 definitely up there. The only one that could rival it is maybe if you go all the way back to Ireland's very first coalition back in 1948. And that was a coalition of five parties. And basically, those five parties had nothing in common except for one singular desire, which was to keep Fianna Fáil out. Eamon right. uh, de Valera had been running the country for 16 years and they were like, we just need to get this lad out and just try something else for a while. And basically they all came together, five parties and a couple of independents all came together to form a government simply to keep Fianna Fáil out. And it was controversial because they all represented very different traditions. There was still a lot of civil war baggage involved in some of the people who were in that coalition. So that was tricky. Um, But even still, I think in the grand arc of history, you'd find it very difficult to find a a coalition in Ireland which would be as, as controversial or as delicate or as contentious as the one that we could be looking at now. Firstly, because obviously of the historical baggage between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Um, first, secondly, because of the internal dilemma that the Greens have. Do we sort of do this deal with the devil? Do we allow people to think that maybe we are propping up parties who lost seats, lost votes, who lost the election and have no right to go into power? Uh, and then thirdly, because of the fact that, you know, this was the, the election was the rise of Sinn Féin. It was the, the Mary Lou monsoon. It was like this sudden tsunami of Sinn Féin no longer just being this party on the fringes, but rather being one of the large parties that dominates Irish politics. And even with their rise in popularity and with the Greens' rise in popularity and with the Social Democrats' rise in popularity and with all the other independents, the fact that they still managed to conspire not to enter into governments and whether that is maybe a stitch-up arranged by Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And that's... That's up to individual people to decide whether it's a stitch up. You know, they both said they wouldn't work with Sinn Féin. Mind you, they also both said they wouldn't work with each other. So, you know, I think only history will judge and people will make up their own minds as to whether it is a stitch up. Mary Lou McDonald certainly says it is. But ultimately, all politicians, there's an old maxim in politics. I think I said it in the first time that we did one of these pods, Steph, that um, the old maxim from Robert F. Kennedy, the first rule of politics is learn to count. And it doesn't matter... How many votes you get in a general election, what matters is the number of bums on seats that you get in the doll. And because it's those bums on seats who elect the Taoiseach and who elect the government and whoever can get 80 people in their corner gets power. And Sinn Féin haven't been able to do that. And if this deal gets ratified, then Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens will have. And that's how elections work. And we'll be finding that out in 10 days, is it? Uh, nine days time we're recording this on Wednesday of this week so it'll be the Friday of next week it'll be Friday the 26th so people will be listening to this uh, on Tuesday next and it will be the following Friday 
it'll be three days after that. Yeah. So uh, and and all three parties have agreed that they will all announce the results of their their members' ballots uh, on the same day because it would be really embarrassing if like if the Greens went first and the Greens said, "Oh, we didn't have our two thirds and then Spoiler. you'd have. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil announcing the ballot of something which was completely Oh, it's like in First States Ireland but it's like, would you like to see each other again? And one person's like, yeah, yeah. And yes, no. Yeah, and they and they immediately just turn out and say, no! And then the other partner sits there and goes, I I I thought thought it went quite quite well, well, actually. So, yeah, so so that's what they'll be doing. So they will announce the results on the Friday, which will be three days after this podcast comes out. And then if all three parties get on board, then all the TDs will be traipsing down to the convention centre in Dublin on Saturday and they will be sitting there to elect a Taoiseach and then that Taoiseach will go down to the Auras, get a seal of office, sign all the paperwork and all of that and then he will go back to the convention centre to announce the rest of his cabinet. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Um, For anyone listening who is uh, slightly confused about some of the things we talked about, there is an earlier episode which is Politics 101 um, which explains... uh, how these parties came to power but again I'll have you back at some point Gavin because I want to talk about some of the characters that we haven't talked about um, from you know mm. like the the Charlie Hawhees and the Bertie Hearns who people will have heard about but may not know the details of but now is not a time sure, for sure. anecdotes when stuff yeah. is happening so quickly Are we calling this Politics 102 or Politics 2020? I think we'll call it Politics 2020 and then we'll go back to 102 you okay. can't do 102 without mentioning the Bertie Ball you know um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we might get a look. I don't think that there's any point in talking about the program for government if we're not sure if it's even going to pass. But as soon as we uh, know, no, may, may, maybe not until we know that it's actually that a government is going to be formed to implement it, and maybe then we can revisit some other time when we know that the government is actually yes. in situ and that that's what. Because it's going I also to want to explain to people what a TD is, what a minister is, what a cabinet is and how the cabinet, which is, you know, the people who are going to be the next ministers for health, ministers for housing or whatever, how all that is formed. So we'll get you back on to maybe explain some of that to us if you don't mind. Yeah, Thank you so much, Gavin. Have a very exciting week and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know on Instagram and Twitter if you did enjoy it. I'm at Stephanie Preisner on Instagram and at Steph Preisner on Twitter. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you could like us, rate it or share. Some of you were messaging me saying that you don't know how to review an episode if you're listening on Spotify. I don't think you can, but if you can't rate or review it, if you would just tell one person about the podcast, that would really very much help. Also, I'm going to do a mailbox issue again, like we did in the last time. Uh, So check out my Instagram for when I put up that question box and you can ask me your questions. Thank you again. I really, 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 really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.